This is the latest sermon from Redeemer Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. All right. Good morning, Redeemer Community Church. If you would, go ahead and and find your seats. Excited to be with Redeemer and the body of Christ here this morning. How many of you have been to the beach this summer? Got some vacations? How many of you are going to the beach this summer? I'm from Kansas, so the beach is like very new to me, you know, like we're kind of landlocked. There's no real bodies of water. Like Kansans go to the mountains in the summer, but we live in the mountains, so we all go to the beach, and so it's a lot of fun. We just got back from the beach late Friday night, um, and one of me and my wife's favorite things to do at the beach is to leave my two-year-old with his grandparents and go on a date. It's awesome. It's just wonderful. Uh, We usually go somewhere we can't afford. Also wonderful. Highly recommend it. Um, And we got to talking and just how fun it was this year. You know, last year when we went to the beach with him, he was still too young. You know, he was like just over one year old. He, He couldn't really do much. Didn't seem like he could experience a lot. But this year, you know, he's almost two and a half, and I mean, it was, it was just awesome. He just had a blast. But we did learn pretty quickly that he doesn't like the water. Not a water dude. Like, he just wants to stay on land. We would go to the beach, and there's the waves, and where maybe most kids would go, and they would splash, and they would run in the waves. He would hand me the shovel. He would want me to dig a hole so that he had his little plastic golf club, and he'd just sit there and hit his golf ball into the hole over and over. I mean, hours, right? We'd be back home at the beach house, and there's like a, you know, the golf course is right behind the house, and it's like he just wanted to go out there to the green, and he would, again, just hit the ball in the hole for hours and hours. We'd go to the pool, and instead of getting in the water, right, and like splashing around and jumping off the side of the pool, he just wanted to run around the outside of the pool with his football, and his favorite game to play was to throw the football into the pool and make dad go get it right? And then come back out and give it to him. We play this game for hours. But what kind of father would I be if I didn't, you know, attempt to traumatize my child a little bit and try to get him to like the water? I want him to like the water. I want him to enjoy the water. And so we'd go to the pool and the first day I'd pick him up and we'd just walk into the water. And the moment the water would hit his feet, I mean, you would have thought it was like hot lava, right? Like he loses his mind. We'd walk out of the pool. I'd let him do his little football game for 10 minutes or so. Then I'd pick him back up. We'd try again. He, he might let me go a little further. Maybe the water gets up to his knees before he loses his mind. And so that was day one at the pool. Day two, I'm like, hey, I get really uncomfortable with him running around the side of the pool without any floaties on. Just makes me a little nervous. Maybe I'm overprotective. I don't know. So I sit him down. I'm like, dude, we got to put your floaty on. And I turn into a WWE wrestler for 10 minutes, right? I mean, it was like he just screaming in my face, no, I'm not putting the floaty on, wrestle him down. We get the floaty on, and then we go into the water. A little more comfortable on day two with this floaty. He still, you know, he still was holding on to me for dear life, right? Like scratch marks on my back. He wasn't going to let go. And we go a little further in the water, and then we come out and do the same thing, the same game. Day three rolls around. He gladly lets me put the floaty on this time. I am not wrestling him. He, he, he goes like this, you know. Okay, put it on. Put his little arm things on, and, and we go into the pool. And this time, he's like, he's in the pool. He's still holding on to me, but we're kind of like throwing the football in the pool together, and we're like gliding, you know, I'm like gliding him to the ball. And then he gets the ball, and he's like, yay! 
okay, and then he throws it again. And, and we do this for 30 minutes, and he gets pretty comfortable. And so I decide again, you know, I mean, what kind of father would I be if I'm not going to traumatize my child a little bit so he likes the water? And so I decide, okay, I'm just going to like act like I'm going with him to the football and then just kind of let go and let him kind of float to the football on his own, see where this goes. And so I'm holding him and I'm running and we're going to the football and I let go of him and he doesn't, he doesn't really swim, right? He's not like flapping his arms or kicking his legs. He turns into like a U shape almost. His hands are straight up in the air. His legs are straight up in the air and he's just like floating to the ball just like frozen, you know, just letting the waves take him to the ball. And he does it. He's so excited. He's so focused on getting to the football that he doesn't really realize for a split moment that I had let go, right? Like he's fine. Like he's floating. He's not moving. He's petrified, you know, but, but he's going to the ball and then he gets to the ball and he grabs it. And then in that split second, once he had gotten to the ball, he realized that dad wasn't holding him anymore and he started losing his mind. You know, it, it, it was funny. I'm not gonna lie. We laughed. It was like, this is hilarious. Um, you know, whatever, traumatizing father. Here I am. Um, so he, and so I go and I'm right there. You know, I didn't really leave him. I like, I'm right behind him. I'm, I, I let him go and I let him float to the ball, but I'm still within arm's length of him and he's freaking out. And I, as soon as I put my arm back under him and let him know like, hey, bud, like I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. You're okay. He immediately calmed down. And me and my wife are at dinner and we're laughing about this, maybe crying about it a little bit because it's just so fun. You know, it's just fun to watch um, him experience these things for the first time. And, and we kind of change conversation and we start talking about this sermon and talking about Jude and, and what, we're, what I'm going to talk about today. And she mentioned, she's like, you know, it's, what Brooks was experiencing in the pool sounds very similar to what we experience in our relationship with the Lord and the reality of the topic of perseverance of the saints. This is the theological topic that Jude ends his letter with, this idea that I keep on in the faith only because I am kept in the faith. And as Jeff talked about last week, there, there's a major difference between being kept in the faith and having my eyes on God versus being kept in the world and having my eyes on the world. And Jude, in the previous verses, he did not mince words, as you read last week. Some of the things he says about those who put the world as their God, and, and make no mistake about it, there's two options. It may seem polarizing, but there's truth. You are either worshiping the God of yourself or you are worshiping the one true God found in this Bible, and there is no in-between. You may say, well, Bryce, what about the other religions? And, and I mean, they think they're worshiping a God. Yes, but man-made gods, gods that we had conjured up and decided this is what I want God to be like and act it's an idea, it's a, it's a self-representation of what I want God to do, and therefore I am worshiping myself. And as I said, Jew does not mince words. He says to those who worship themselves rather than God, Jesus Christ, the one true God found in his holy word, woe to them, verse 11. They walked in the way of Cain, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, they are shepherds feeding themselves, not concerned with anybody else. Waterless clouds swept along by the wind. 
fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. In verse 16, it says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And then maybe the boldest of all, he says in verse 13, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. That is terrifying. That when I read that text is what I don't want to be. I don't want to be defined as following myself following what I want and my own selfish ambition, my own God. I don't want to be that. And, and Jude is talking about the non-Christian in those verses, right? He's not talking about the believer, but I don't know about you. I read through those verses and I see myself a lot of times in those. I look and I'm like, man, how often am I a loud mouth boaster? <laughs> how often do I pursue the flesh, my, my own sinful desires? How often am I more about self and my own glory and my own expectations and my own fulfillment than I am about that of God? And I get terrified in that moment. I go back to this, this question that Jeff poses to us often, right? And he says, when you, when you think about perseverance of the saints, when you think about loss of salvation, the question is not whether the Christian can lose their faith, the question more so is whether a God who is righteous and sovereign and good and holy and omnipotent can lose the believer. That's the question to ask. And I believe that Jude, as he finishes out his letter, and I love ending a letter because I feel like, man, this is Jude's last words. Like, what does he want to stick? What does he want to leave with us as believers? And that is who he is writing to, believers. What does he want? How does he want to answer that question? And I think the answer might surprise us. But before we dive into the Holy Word of God, let's pray that the Lord direct us this morning. Heavenly Father, you are good. Father, we stand over your word this morning asking that you reveal truth you reveal yourself to us. Father, we keep going back to your word because you draw us to it. Lord, we keep diving in because you pull us in. Father, I pray that we handle your truth carefully, whether how hard it is to, to grasp or, or to swallow. Lord, may you give us eyes that understand, hearts, Lord, that as we read this text, lead us to worship. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. May the words of Bryce be forgotten quickly. But may the words of your Holy Spirit stick to us and guide us and lead us. Father, this is about you. You deserve it all. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. So Jude, in these verses, we're gonna start in Jude verse 17 today as we exposit his word and and, you know, he just talked about what defines the non-believer, right? We just kind of summarized, I bounced around a few of those verses. But ultimately, the summary is the non-believer follows after themselves. They follow after their own God, their own desires, their own worship, right? And now he's going to look and he's going to turn his attention to the believer. What makes 
the believer different. And he says this, he starts in verse 17, but you, you must remember beloved. I love to pause when the text says beloved. It amazes me and astounds me that the God of the universe, who by the way, I wanted nothing to do with, I just wanted myself, my own gains, my own desires, yet looks upon me and calls me beloved. <laughs> looks upon you and says, sons and daughter of the king. You are united to Christ and sealed by the spirit. And therefore he looks and says, beloved. And he's looking and he's, Jude starts, and he says, but you, beloved, you, saint, you, united to Christ, you, sealed by the spirit, beloved by the father, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, remember these things. Instead of sitting and resting on what you were before Christ and the list that he just drawn out, what that looks like, he says, but you, you know, instead, a transition point, you remember what the apostles said to you. And apparently here in this text, Jude is saying to the, to the initial readers of this letter, it seems like the apostles said this directly to those who are reading this letter. You remember what they said to you. Remember the predictions that they gave you. What are those predictions? Verse 18, he says, they said to you. Again, they wrote this to you. And you'd be like, well, did they write it to me too? Yes, like we're reading it here as though the apostles said it to us. And now Jude is saying, you remember what they said. You wanna know what they said, read the word of God. Everything that we need to know about Jesus Christ is written in this word. This is how he chooses to reveal himself to us. And he says, remember what they said. Remember what is written about Christ in here. Well, what am I supposed to remember? Verse 18, in the last time, are we in the last time? When is Christ going to return? You know, we're not going to get into those discussions here today. But the reality is Jude writes in the last time as though the readers are in the last time. And make no mistake about it, the moment that Christ ascends to the Father, we have been in the last time. We patiently await the second coming of Christ who draws up the saints, the believers that are united to him into eternal glory. Where there are no tears, there are no pain, there is worship of God. And we await that. We wait that patiently, maybe even impatiently. Christ return, Christ return now. He says, remember you are in the last time. These are the last moments. I don't say that to, to make you think like, oh, Bryce thinks that Christ is gonna return tomorrow or in his lifetime. I have no idea. Scripture is very clear about that. Not even the son, Christ Jesus knows when the return is going to be happening, when the father looks upon him and says, now is it. Go, call up the saints only the Father knows the day or the hour, but what we know in Scripture is that the Father waits patiently. Why? So that many more come to know Jesus Christ. So that many more are rescued and plucked out of the flames and end that ultimately is hell. And so, brothers and sisters, we are in the last time, and we should live as if we're in the last time. And you may think, well, he's saying the last time there. It's been a long time since the letters of Jude. But yes, in light of eternity, this is but a millisecond. 
in light of eternity, when you think about the last times and even how long I've lived, 30 years. Oh, you know, 30 hit hard this year. You know, like I lived 30 years. That seems like a long time to me. I feel old in light of eternity. This is just a small moment, a small blip on the radar. So yes, when he says, remember what they said to you and that you are in the last time, yes, What's going to happen in the last time? The apostles say, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It makes sense that he says this here. I mean, he talks about the world, right? He talks about us going after the ball like Brooks is going after the ball in the pool. And when he gets it, he realizes in the moment, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And he freaks out and he waits. Where's my father? And he's right there and he says, hey, in this last time, Remember, there are going to be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It drives me crazy as believers that we get surprised by the direction that our world is going away from God. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that that we lose our cool, that, that we freak out, that for some reason we can't believe that people who are making themselves their God are doing X. I can't believe it. How is this happening? And here Jude look and he says, hey, you're in the last times and don't forget what the apostles said to you. Remember, they, they set an expectation. If you're following after your own God, this, this is to be expected. We as believers should stand differently than that of shock and surprise. We should stand in confidence because we know what was coming We should stand bold in that of Christ Jesus when he says, hey, it's not going to look pretty when people follow after their own God rather than follow after me. They're going to scoff at your belief of Jesus Christ. They are going to go after ungodly passions themselves. Don't be surprised by it. Stand in the confidence that you know there's a different way. That's the way of Jesus Christ. And may we be bold enough to show people to speak about the other way and draw them, as Jude is going to say in later verses, pluck them out of the fire that they are headed to. I think a lot of times our action of being surprised leads us to close our door, right? To run into the house. And it's like, oh, I'm so shocked by what's happening in the world. I'm going to retreat. Where if we stand in confidence of what we know Jesus has said and that the believer knows how the story ends, We can stand in the middle of the fire, knowing that Christ stands there with us. Verse 19, he continues on in this statement. He says, it is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Right? That list that he makes before verse 17, those are unbelievers, people devoid of the spirit. They are not marked by the Holy Spirit living in them. They are separate then they're not set apart as holy because the Holy Spirit has not done the work in their heart. And the result of being devoid of the Spirit is that which we read. But then again, he transitions in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, there it is again, but you, believer, but you who are marked by the Spirit, But you who are not defined as being devoid of the Spirit, but you who have been set apart by God's righteousness, his sovereignty, his holy will, you who should look 
different than the world. But you, beloved, you, believer, and then he's going to give us a few commands. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How many sentences did I just read there? Look at your Bibles. How many sentences did I just read in verse 20? One, two, three. What we got? One sentence. Now, this is what we like to do. <laughs> we like to look and we get our to-do lists out, right? I like to look and say, okay, what is Jude telling me I need to do? Like, yes, Bryce, I don't want to be marked by that of the world. I don't want to be so distracted by the world that I'm floating to the ball and then I get to it and I'm like, oh, that is not what I thought I was going to. And then look around and be like, where's my heavenly father? Right? Like, I don't want to be that. And Jude is saying, okay, well, this is how you do this. Okay, great. Something for me to do. But you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, so I need to build myself up in my faith. I need to pray in the Holy Spirit. I need to keep myself in the love of God. And I need to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Four things. Are we exhausted? When you read that list, is that something that you think you can do? Is that something that you look and you're like, okay, great, ready, set, go, here I am. It's easy, especially at first. We live in a culture that is all about to-dos, right? We want something to do. It makes us feel valuable. It makes us feel important. But we need to break down one. This is one sentence. And there's imperative verbs in this sentence, and there's participle verbs in this sentence. And this is important. You're like, Bryce, where are you going with this? This is English class. This is so important to this sentence and this text because it changes what this text means. When you read the Greek of this text, keep yourselves in the love of God is the imperative command. This is the command that is of utmost importance that I keep myself in the love of God. And the participles tell me how to do that. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, I build myself up in my most holy faith and I pray in the Holy Spirit and I wait for the mercy of God. But how in the world me and my flesh who want nothing to do with the person of Jesus Christ apart from him, how am I to keep myself in the love of God? This is the kicker. You see, in verse one of Jude, it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Who is doing the keeping in that verse? It's not me. I am kept by God for Jesus Christ. I am being the one that is Kept. I am not the one that is doing the keeping. Jude later ends his letter in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you. Again, who is doing the keeping? It is not me. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God because if I am the one doing the keeping, 
I would not be standing before you as a believer still. I guarantee it. If I am the one that is doing the keeping, I am worshiping myself and going after my own ungodly passions. So then what then do we do with verse 21 that says, keep yourself in the love of God? Well, again, keep yourself in the love of God is the imperative. How do I keep myself in the love of God? Building myself up in my most holy faith. There is nothing in me that is holy apart from that of Jesus Christ. Let's just acknowledge that there. And there is no amount of good works I can do to earn faith from God. So how do I obtain a most holy faith? It is given to me by God. The participle there is a gift. Christ looks at me and plucks me out of the path I was headed on that was leading to hell and destruction, and he imparts to me his holiness, his righteousness, his faith in God the Father. A most holy faith is something I cannot do. It is something that is given to me. So when Jude looks and says, keep yourself in the love of God by building up your most holy faith, I can only build up my most holy faith because Christ has kept me there in the first place. The second participle he says there is pray in the Holy Spirit. If I am a non-believer separate than Jesus Christ, I do not have the Holy Spirit in me, right? Jude has already said I am devoid of the Spirit. Who imparts the Holy Spirit to me? It is not me. It is not something that I have gained or earned, that I have strived to attain. It is a gift from God. He seals me with the Holy Spirit and therefore unites me to the person of Christ so that the same love that the Father lavishes on Jesus is now loved as lavished on me. I cannot attain the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God. So when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit, I can only pray in the Holy Spirit if I've been given the Holy Spirit in the first place. You see, all of a sudden this starts to point us away from self and things that I do in order to gain God's love and points me to the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished. You see, I keep on in the faith because Christ has already kept me there in the first place. And as I have already said, if I'm the one that is expected to do the keeping, I would not be standing here in the round with you as a believer. Be sure of that. I keep myself in the love of God. How? Because Christ has placed me and given me a most holy faith because Christ draws me to my knees in prayer in the Holy Spirit because he has given me the spirit to begin with. But I get it. You know, we're, we're a people that want something to do. <laughs> we're a people that want application. <laughs> We're a people that want something to take part of. And this is what Jeff has been talking about in this series, right? The deciding work of God is that he keeps me. I keep on because he's kept me. The decisive work of God is finished and done. He is not going, the sovereign God is not going to lose the Christian because he keeps you there. The decisive work of God is finished, but the dependent work of man you want to know how you keep yourself in the faith? How does Christ reveal himself to us? 
I've already said it this morning. I say it often right here in his word. You want to build up your most holy faith that had been given to you? Get in the word of God. Read it. Study it. Pour over it. Pray over it. Learn more about the person of Jesus Christ and who he has revealed himself to be. And if you are a believer in this room, the natural draw of being kept is that you're going to want to get in this. You're going to want to know who is doing the keeping and why, even though I am so undeserving of it, does he continue to keep me there? This book will tell you that. You want to pray in the Holy Spirit? Pray in the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit marks you. It sets you apart as holy, as as different, as, as united to Jesus Christ. Dive in to prayer. Prayer at its core defines an utter dependence in our life. If I am in seasons where I am not praying, I am not being dependent on God. I I'm trying to live an independent life, again, focused on self, making myself God. When I pray, I have no other option but to acknowledge that I am utterly dependent. Every breath I take is the deciding work of God. I pray in the Holy Spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit to pray through me. When I don't have words, the Holy Spirit knows the innermost grumblings of my heart and intercedes for me. Christ is interceding for you constantly. Let's be believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who pray because the Holy Spirit leads us there. And may our prayers be aligned with the will of God. Pray what, what, what is on our mind. Pray what is on our heart, but ultimately in the prayer and say, thy will be done, because it is your Holy Spirit who led me here in the first place. I would have no desire to pray. I would have no desire to utter my dependence on God if you had not drawn me to this in the first place. I keep on reading the word of God. I keep on praying because Christ kept me and keeps me in the faith and gives me a desire to do so anyways. Because again, if he didn't draw me to prayer, if he didn't draw me to Bible reading, if he did not keep me in the faith, I would not be standing before you as a believer. So therefore, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then as we do that, we wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude has been talking about the last times. This points to us patiently awaiting the return of our Savior. It is imperative that we keep ourselves in the love of God because we desire to be found in him when he returns in great glory. And praise be to God that I will be found in him when he returns in glory because he's kept me there. Because his mercy keeps me there. Because mercy is me not receiving what I deserve. Grace is me getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what I do deserve. And because of his great mercy, when he returns, my end is not hell. Because of his grace, my end is heaven. And I await that moment. And I am kept in the love of God as I wait. And then he transitions he transitions to almost an evangelical, right? He's, he's going to talk about evangelism here in this next verse. Why? Why would he almost seemingly 
pause. I mean, this is his last words, right? Like, this is what he wants to, to have stick with the believers. He's just talked about keeping yourself in the love of God because Christ has kept you there in the first place. And now he's going to talk about, man, again, those who are kept in the person of Jesus Christ not only have a most holy faith, not only pray in the Holy Spirit, but they also desire others to be kept there as well. And he says this, verse 23, sorry, verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Verse 22 seems to be a little different than verse 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23 says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. That seems to denote that they are currently in the fire, right? Their end is currently hell. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Their garment has not been replaced by that of white. The blood of Christ. Stained by the blood of Christ rather than the blood of the flesh. But verse 22, it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Is he talking about believers who, who are doubting? And so therefore he looks and says, show mercy, come alongside, be gentle. Know that there's gonna be seasons in your life in which you doubt, in which you struggle. This is debated. I believe so. Just because you are kept in the faith does not mean that Satan is not attacking you does not mean that Satan is trying to make your evangelical work, your desire to read in prayer superfluous. He wants nothing less than to make the Christian stumble. You may be like, well, I'm found in Christ. Why does he even bother with me? Because it stains the work of Christ in the eyes of the unbeliever, right? Well, what makes you any different, right? Well, why would I want to become a believer? You're struggling with the same things. And it's like, yes, the only difference between me and you is that Christ has grabbed hold of my life, and although I might have seasons of doubt, he is who keeps me. He is who kept me. And so when we as believers, as a community, come together, and yes, there are going to be seasons of doubt, may we encourage each other with great mercy and love. And in verse 23, I believe he does look to the unbeliever. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Right, that, that, that's what I said earlier, right? When we're surprised by the way the world is, is headed, we're surprised by the sin of the world, we run into our house and we close the door. When we stand confident in who Christ is, what he has done in my life, and that he is going to keep me because of his work and not my own, I can boldly go into the fire, I can snatch out the believers because he is the one that does the saving and not me. I can boldly confront that of the non-believing world and say, there's a different way. Don't go after the ball. <laughs> You're gonna get there and wonder, well, this is not what I was promised. Instead, rest in the hands of the Father. And to others, he says, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. A lot of commentaries describe this as those who are going in to snatch those out of the fire, right? They're, they're doing evangelistic ministry. They want others to be kept by Jesus Christ and they're happy to partake in the work of Christ through them. But there's some that are so ingrained in their sin, so in love with their sin 
So, no, this is the way. I want to be God. I want this world that he says, be careful. (laughs) Show them mercy with fear. Love them, but understand you must hate the garment that has clothed them because it defines the flesh. Judah's going to end with one of the most, I think, beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture. As I was pouring over this text, studying this text, praying over this text, I mean, there's just no other way that I could see this this letter ending. It's beautiful. It's theologically rich, and it wraps up what he has been saying to us. He says this, Now to him who is able to keep you, there it is again, who is doing the keeping. We already talked about this verse. It is Christ. Now to him who is able. Who is able? Me? No. Again, I say, if it is up to me, if it is up to me to keep myself in the faith, I would not stand before you as a Christian. No, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I said earlier, there's nothing that Satan loves more than to see the believer stumble to see and draw the believer into doubt, but to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You see, Satan is conquered. The work of Christ is finished. He didn't die on the cross and say it's kind of done. Satan has no power over the believer because you are united to Christ, and he has no power over the person of Jesus Christ. And so now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and then to present you blameless, Man, I mean, it gets me excited. That's just crazy. Like, how can Christ present me blameless? I am so sinful. I desire the flesh. I desire the things of this world. Every fleshly being in me does not want Christ, but yet to him who is able to not only keep me from stumbling, but also to present me as blameless, because I've been marked by the Holy Spirit and united to Christ, and Christ is blameless? Have we lost the amazement of that statement? You stand blameless before the Father. The verses we read at the beginning of this passage don't define you, not because of your own work, but because of Him who is able. And you stand a new creation and blameless before the Father because of the work of Christ, not because of your own work. And you stand before the presence of his great glory, and listen to this next statement, with great joy. With great joy. That phrase just left me pondering and wondering all week long. With great joy. The work that it takes for Jesus Christ to draw me into the faith and then to keep me there I'd be exhausted. He does the work and he does it with great joy. He looks at you, beloved, and he keeps you in the faith. He willingly goes to the cross. He suffers this excruciating death for you and he finds great joy in it because you get you to be united to him because everything that is Christ is now yours. And as you come into the courts of God, it brings him great joy of the work that he has accomplished in you. It brings excitement for him. 
He doesn't look at you and is like, oh, there he goes again. He sinned again. I am exhausted. I'm tired of this. This, is like, this time I'm not going to catch him going after the ball. No, it brings him great joy. It brings him great joy to come under you and keep you there and say, it's okay. I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere and I'm not going anywhere. It brings him utter joy to keep the Christian in the fold of God. And then he ends with a praise. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. All those attributes of God, he defines that are important to the keeping work of the believer. Glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I was listening to a sermon on the way to the beach, and this is where we'll, we'll close here. It was a sermon by John Piper, you know, someone who has impacted many because of his theology, his preaching, and he makes this statement at the beginning of this sermon. He's older at this point. I think it was just a couple years ago. Um, you know, he's about to retire from his church, and he's at the Desiring God conference, and he's speaking to them the last time, really. And he starts the sermon with this statement. And man, the statement has sat with me all week. He says, I am amazed. I am amazed that I am still a Christian. I mean, this is a dude who has been preaching for 50 years. No trouble, like 50 years. This is a, this is a man who, whose life is defined by prayer studying the word, preaching the word, wanting those to come to know Jesus Christ, impacted so many lives. And he stands about to retire from this. And he looks and he says, I am amazed that I am still a Christian. And he says that not to shock us, not, 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 not to lead us to, oh man, I hope I'm still a Christian when I'm, when I'm 70 or, or to throw us into, oh, I hope I don't lose my salvation. No, he goes on to say, I'm amazed that I am still a Christian because I am amazed at the work it takes for Christ to have kept me there this long. And although we might doubt that Christ is able, Jude ends with that he is able and he will persevere his saints. He will be the one who keeps you. And when you stand before God the Father, whether it's when Christ returns or it's whether when we die, in the end, these last days, when we stand before Christ the Father, you better believe that you will stand blameless and kept, not of your own work, but only because it is the work of Jesus Christ in you. Only because you have been sealed by the Spirit. We keep on in the faith, because he has kept us there in the first place. May we not lose the amazement that every breath we take in as believers, every breath we breathe out, we remain in the fold of God because of the keeping work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that us remaining in the faith is not up to us. Lord, if it was, we would fall. Lord, if it was up to our flesh, if it was up to our work, if it was up to our perseverance, our drive, our striving, Lord, we would come up short. But Lord, it is because of your work 
as Jude has said to us. We keep in the love of God because you have imparted to us a most holy faith. We keep in the love of God because you have given us the Holy Spirit and lead us to our knees in utter dependence and prayer. We keep in the love of God because we await the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ returning. I pray that would humble us this morning. I pray that would draw us to you and to worship. We thank you for the work you have done, are doing, and are going to do to continue to keep us in your constant, steady, sovereign, good, gracious, merciful hands. Lord, you are worthy of it all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.